Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD, pro physique athlete. Today I'm joined by Jeff Alberts, the godfather from 3DMJ, and we're going to be catching up with him after his top five placing at WNBF Worlds at the age of 52. This is pretty amazing. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Good to see you. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. Thanks for the nice startup. It's uh, appreciated. Yeah, I think this is going to be, I mean, I think you're particularly in an interesting person to learn from and i'm always you know particularly interested in kind of the extremes and people those outliers right and looking into how they got there and what makes them tick and i think particularly with you people can learn a lot from the standpoint of sustainability and actually making things making bodybuilding work within your life even while performing at a high level so we're going to be going over Jeff's season and some of his past bodybuilding history. I was thinking maybe we could start off, Jeff, with just a quick recap of how your season went. Oh, man. So I think we, we, we talked when it was first kind of starting, if I can remember right. And I think we talked about, like, the, the game plan and all that. Well, nothing, nothing happened as I predicted. So... If I could take you back maybe three or four months ago, like I was kind of on the fence whether or not I actually wanted to finish what I started. I thought about just stopping the prep just because I was at a place where, you know, I've been doing this for so long. This is my 30th year of competition. And I just felt like you know, I've kind of done and seen so much that it was starting to get to a point where it wasn't as passionate for me, not as enjoyable. And I was kind of questioning whether I wanted to put myself through it, my body through it, and also my family through it. You know, because obviously contest prep is, uh, it's pretty physically, mentally, and emotionally demanding. So I struggled with trying to figure out what my purpose, what my why was. So um, I actually had one of my own athletes that I coach uh, named Mayan, who is from Israel. And as you know, there's a lot of struggles over there. She's pretty inspiring. And she basically just told me, Jeff, like, you're just, in a sense, putting too much pressure on yourself. Just just be, just have fun, take it day by day. And, um, you know, I took her advice and glad I did because basically, you know, we we made it to the first show, which was the WNBF Washington. Uh, I did that show with Eric Helms. And it was kind of nice because we had the opportunity to connect for a week, like during peak week, he was staying at my house. Uh, my wife and my son ventured to Cancun on vacation. So it was just Eric and I here at my house. So it was a bodybuilding camp for an entire week. Like the time we woke up Love to it. the time we went to sleep, all we did was bodybuilding. <laughs> it was kind of awesome because it brought me back to my roots of just getting in there and grinding and just really embracing the process. And then having someone like Eric to share it with. 24 7 um it was it was pretty motivating it was also an opportunity for him and i to reconnect uh you know and deepen our french friendship you know so we kind of grown as brothers through that week and uh, we capped it off by taking a two-day drive up to washington from california so we had a lot of bonding time and you know we both did pretty well at this show i just needed to do the show to qualify for worlds i was able to do that I got a second place finish and to be honest with you it gave me confidence knowing that i'm still relevant like i can still belong in in, in a pro division you know with much younger guys so i was like okay you know i just need to get a little bit leaner push a little harder and then you know have an opportunity to maybe do something at worlds so fast forward um about Three weeks later, uh, I decided to do, do a show in Las Vegas. It's an NPC show. And uh, it was their inaugural, like, natural show there in Vegas. And I, I figured it was a good opportunity for my wife and I to spend a, a weekend vacation. You know, where else to, to go but Vegas, right? So I'm like, okay, let's do this show. It's on a Friday. It's a one-show format. So I, you know, two, three hours into it, I'd be done. Then her and I can venture off and you know get a lot of steps on the strip. Destination bodybuilding. Yeah, it was a destination show for sure, and they did a great job because it was at a resort that was about a couple of miles off the strip. The show was at the resort. The tanning was at the resort. 
check-in, everything is just right there. So it was a really easy show to do. And um, I was uh, thankfully, uh, you know, and happily, I came away with the overall victory, albeit it was a very small show. There wasn't a whole lot of competition there. There wasn't that many competitors, but it was a good opportunity for me to practice, you know, peak week, practice posing on stage, get ready for Worlds. Uh, so that was the second show I did. And then a week later, we dove into WBF Worlds. And um, I knew strategically I wanted to get into the lightweight class. I know that surprised a lot of people seeing my name as a lightweight. But about a month out from the show, I got with Alberto and I let him kind of guide my peak week. So strategically, we knew we needed to get down to right around 167, 168 pounds to try to make that cutoff of 165 pounds. So we did a two day uh, gut cut and we cut water the day before the weigh-in the weigh-in was on a friday the show was on sunday so it gave me plenty of time to rehydrate get some solid food in me make sure that i was looking the part uh, but that was to be honest bill the worst two days of prep the entire prep itself like this that gut cut and the water cut it's not something i want to do again it wasn't very pleasant wasn't very fun so and we can dive a little bit into it a little bit if you want but but i made the, the cutoff and uh we got we stuck into the lightweight and um the the thought process was i was going to be a big lightweight well that wasn't the case there's so much size now across the board you know this the 2014 wbf worlds i did there was about 23 countries represented now there's more than 50. So the talent pool, the level of competition is so much higher now. And it's kind of cool to see, you know, to be in company with so many people from all over the world. That's part of the experience I really enjoyed the most was just talking to a lot of people. And um, yeah, I was able to come away with the top five finish. So that's in a nutshell, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my season. Glad that um, I was nudged by you know one of my athletes to just keep pushing so yeah if, if i didn't have her kind of nudging me had a you know, few other people in my corner nudging me that uh yeah i would have missed out on a pretty good experience yeah that's insane and particularly at wmb worlds as you said it's such a big show now and i had the pleasure of meeting jeff at worlds last year when i competed and when you go backstage for the first time worlds it's like uh-oh or yeah, it's just like it's crazy. how do people like this actually exist you know it's kind of crazy mm -hmm. like you drew them on a on a cartoon board so yeah actually that's really interesting about maybe you could tell us about how you ran that gut cut and peak yeah so the the two-day gut cut so that was the Wayne was Friday like I said so we started on Wednesday so it's basically just whey protein and fruit juice and we needed to get carbs in me to actually load so it's like how can we get the weight from going way up while trying to load up so it's like okay a lot of fruit juice carbs were probably about four or five hundred grams of carbs on wednesday but it was all liquid and it wasn't too bad that day like i was i was doing okay it's like okay it's not too bad but then once on thursday that was travel day so i'm trying to travel with all these fluids you know, just whey protein, fruit juice. I'm like, okay, let me do some fruit snacks on the plane. Uh, so just trying to keep the overall you know, volume of food low. By the time I landed in Seattle that evening, like the hunger was getting off the charts just because there was nothing solid in me. And then the next morning when I woke up, same thing, it was Friday morning, like, okay, I'm gonna delay the weigh in as long as I possibly could. So the the weigh and cutoff was around three in the afternoon. So I was like, okay, I'll go down there around one o'clock. I'll get the weigh in and then we'll see where we're at. By the time I got down there, I was so depleted. I looked like horrendous. It looked like Jeff from like 2006, like size. And because back then it was like, I was a much smaller version of myself. That's what I looked like. So there's a little concern like, oh gosh, I'm looking terrible heading into the most important show of the season. But I went down, weighed in. I was about 0.8 pounds over the limit. And so they, you know, said, okay, you got till three o'clock. You could come back and weigh again. So I, at that point, I was like, so just over it. I'm like, I don't care if I'm a middleweight at this point. It's just, I don't care. 
And then Coach Loomis, Brad Loomis, he's like, no, Jeff, I'm going to go to 7-Eleven. I'm going to get you some gum. We'll go into your room. You'll chew this gum. You'll spit in a cup. And we'll go back and lay in. So for about an hour and a half, we sat in my hotel room, one piece of gum at a time, just chewing it till the flavor ran out, spitting in a cup, trying to urinate as much as I could, which was basically nothing left at that point. And yeah, like an hour and a half later, we went back down and waited right on the button, just barely made the cutoff. So if it wasn't for, for Brad, like nudging me to do this, um, I probably would have gotten middle weight class probably wouldn't have made top five just because the guys there are just much bigger. So I was able to, you know, go through that. But in the future, if I do decide to compete again at Worlds, um, I will come in probably a good two to three pounds leaner, like more dieting, more time. So that way I don't have to go through that process ever again. It's horrible. That's hardcore. It, it's, it's powerlifting stuff, right? Because powerlifters do this, but Powerlifters aren't six percent body fat. You know, when you're doing it when you're that lean, man, it's it's pretty rough. Yeah, particularly in peak week, I find that as soon as a little bit of carbs hit the system, your hunger just goes through the roof. You know, and particularly if you're just having juice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's crazy, Bill, is like literally like after the weighing was over, I had two cups of coffee because I needed my caffeine because I didn't have any coffee up until that point. Got that in got hydrated, drank a bunch of water, had one meal, maybe 40, 50 grams of protein, about 100 grams of carbs, about maybe 15 grams of fat. An hour later, I looked like a totally different bodybuilder. It was a, I looked like a sponge. Like I did the before and after pictures. It's, it's crazy how much change there was, like acute changes. So, but again, next time, yeah, try to avoid that process altogether. Yeah, okay, and then getting to the nitty gritty, how did, your diet look throughout the prep and how did macros change? Mm-hmm. So January is about the start of the prep is, you know, I was averaging anywhere between 17 and 1900 calories for the most part, five, six days out of the week. Had a refeed or two, um, you know, four, five, 600 grams of carbs. Step count at that point, it was pretty low. Um, and then towards the end of prep was when I intensified things. So maybe the last month, month and a half calories were as low as 15 to 1600 step count high day high step counts for anywhere between 13 to 15,000 steps um so it's pretty much the same calories for a long duration of the prep it wasn't towards the end where i started to really kind of come down in calories to try to like i said squeak more towards that lightweight class uh so strategically i know in the future if i want to compete again on this level it's going to be in the lightweight class so probably going to do things a little bit differently where things are getting moved up earlier in the prep so that way i'm not like you know pushing maybe as hard towards the end um but yeah i mean it's it's interesting because this prep was the lowest protein i've ever had over my career so i averaged maybe 140 to 150 grams of protein throughout the entirety of the prep whereas in the past you know i've kind of dabbled with that 160 to 170 range Prior to that, it was well over 200, like in my early, early days of uh, competing. And uh, I got shit for having 160, 170 grams of protein, you know, maybe a decade ago. You know, Jeff, your protein's too low, you're, you're, you need more than that. But I've kind of just broken these, these little myths and stereotypes just through some trial and error. And the one thing I kind of realized, you know, this prep, along with some of the previous preps that I've ran, that's more about the rate of loss, you know, how you're, like, how fast and how slow you're kind of dropping weight. That's more of the dictator as far as like how you're going to end up looking in the end. So just, you know, pacing things out pretty well. And stress levels, I would say with this prep, probably the lowest they've ever been in general. Um, this, the only stress I really had was more towards like the last month of just pushing a bit harder. Maybe the last two months, just pushing a little harder and kind of telling my family, like, I got to buckle down. You know, it's like, okay, now I'm more of that hardcore bodybuilder that's putting 105% into the prep and some of the the things that I should be doing here at the house, my wife had to pick up the slack. And that's probably the biggest thing. It's like in the past, you know, I've always kind of been known as that balance guy, like putting family first and all that. 
I mean, you can do that up to a point. And then at some point, it's like if you really want to take your physique and try to get a placing that you're looking for on that level, it's almost like, yeah, you're going to have to sacrifice somewhere. So that's that's the reason why three or four months back, I wasn't sure if I really wanted to go all the way with it because I knew I wanted to let up my game and still be relevant at the age of 52 and all that. I would have to you know, buckle down and you know, I would sacrifice for more so my family. Yeah, I feel that the the family piece is a, is a particularly important one to talk about because I think that it's very easy for bodybuilders to let this get in the way of your life. And there are, I mean, there are a lot of important things and other things that are more important than bodybuilding. In terms of actually managing your diet, what would your foods look like day to day? And what do you find helps in terms of balancing things with having a family? Yeah, so I became more of a creature of habit the last two to three, four months. So breakfast looked pretty much the same, you know, some type of like whey with with fruit in a blender. My calories are a little bit lower in the morning because I'm not as active in the morning. And then for lunch, it would be more of the larger meal. But I was eating basically chicken salad 95% of the time at lunch, like the same meal, like cabbage, carrots, maybe some red cabbage tossed in there, yogurt, blue cheese dressing, can of chicken. And then I would have like whole wheat pita bread with it. Um, and what's a, what's kind of crazy, here, here's a story, Bill. So I would say two months out, maybe three months, I knew I had to buckle down in order to get leaner. And I had a, one day I had a conversation at lunch in my own brain because I would always have that chicken salad and I would have two whole wheat toasted pita breads. Like that was like my meal of the day, something I look forward to. I literally said, okay, if I'm going to get leaner, I need to drop calories down. Where am I gonna drop calories down? I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go from two pita breads to one. But I had a five <laughs> minute conversation with myself about going from two to one. And I just remember, I was like, this is silly. Like, this is ridiculous that I'm this food focused. I'm like, okay just commit to the one pita bread jeff so i literally just dropped it down to one but i find it interesting how when we get to that particular point of a prep and we're having a conversation about like two pita breads versus one like that's just to me it's just kind of funny and ridiculous so i finally just had to tell myself that's the difference between being top five or not it's like something as simple as that just removing the pita bread but I did it and so that was lunch like that was lunch literally probably the last couple of months of prep and then dinner was either like i would do like a chicken breast you know with uh some like a stack of rice cakes with some vegetables and the vegetables i would change out you know daily uh, if it wasn't chicken breast then i would have some type of fish like salmon or something like that um, and then I, that's it i wouldn't eat anything after that just three meals a day uh, that's a little bit of a change from past preps too. Past preps, I usually eat around four meals and split things up. But I realized, like after I would have dinner, hour later I would be hungry, and then I would wait, you know, two three hours to eat that fourth meal. I'm like, well, why don't I just combine meal three and four together, and then that way I'm full and I'm fine the rest of the night. So that's the change that I made. So instead of four meals, it was three. But that's basically what it looked like. Refeeds was. Um, more of the same just more food just some more of the same food just more of it um, so you can kind of say i went back to my bro days like the last couple months of prep just kind of just being very robotic very regimented didn't change much uh, and things were just easier you know the, the thing was more predictable there was like less stress that way i didn't have any decision fatigue other than just like going from two pita breads to one but it just kind of made things a little bit easier uh, it made things a little harder because I didn't eat dinner with the family. That was like the big difference with this prep versus past the past couple of preps was just more like letting my wife know like I'm buckling down. Like I just have to do this this time around. Um, so yeah, you could kind of say like in the past I would kind of get called out like Jeff Soft, he's more the balanced guy. This time around I was like, no, I went hardcore. So so anybody kind of questions that it's like well at 52 top five you know there's a reason i got there so i, I had to dig deep and go there 
Yeah, no stone unturned. I like how you were, I think a good point to take away from what your your diet was set up as was looking at what works for your body in terms of calorie distribution, where I think, you know, a lot of bodybuilders are chained to the eating six, day, six times a week and it's hard for them to break away from that. But you want to think, you want to think about your body as a unique system and finding those times of the day when you're most hungry or when you need the most energy and then placing your calories there. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I'm more active. Like my training's usually in the afternoons, uh, you know, family time in the evenings. So I need energy for my son, you know, those types of things. So the breakfast, like I said, is very light in calories, like maybe two to 300 calories. That's it. Lunch and dinner, like far more heavy in, in calories. Um, and I gravitate more towards foods I like um, that had some volume to them. And uh, like dinner was like, I look forward to dinner because it was like a sleeve of chocolate rice cakes. Yeah. So it's like I'm eating seven of them. You know, there's there's some chocolate chips in there. So they taste good, you know, and I'm eating them kind of slow. You know, I'm watching football on Monday nights or whatever. So it's like I'm trying to feel as normalized as possible. Um, and trying to control hunger as much as possible. But I think, you know, oftentimes we try to strategize, like we over strategize hunger where, you know, you see guys are in the kitchen for three hours trying to come up with like a 300 calorie meal. It's like, to me, if like I'm getting to that level of hunger, then I'm just going to gravitate towards a protein shake and an apple or something like that to take the edge off and then I'm fine. Instead of spending three hours in the kitchen food focused, and then trying to come up with some concoction that takes me three hours to make. Like to me, that's just like way too much uh, decision fatigue. Yeah, at a certain point, you realize that you're going to be hungry anyways. So yes, embrace it. Not really much point in just trying to spend hours combating that. How did you run refeeds and diet breaks? Uh, the refeeds, like I said earlier, they're like one or two a week. Um, Towards the end, I was kind of pushing them back a little further. So instead of every, you know, sixth or seventh day, it was like I was pushing upwards like 10 to 12 days in a row, just low days, just kind of grinding. Um, so you can kind of say they were they were more um, scheduled early earlier in the prep, midway through the prep. Towards the end, they were more auto-regulated based off of how my, I was progressing, where my tolerance level was. Because, you know, there was moments where I'm like, okay, I'm going to push to maybe nine days in a row of going low. But then I would hit like day seven and be like, no, I can't handle this. So I would just go ahead and take a refeed. Sometimes that came sooner. It might have been four days in, five days in. Like, okay, this is all I can take right now. Let me take the edge off, have a refeed, and then we'll kind of just go from there. So I kind of just picked my spots like a good boxer does. You know, let me get in there and land some hard punches and pull back when I need to pull back. So it's kind of more of that type of strategy, more towards the end. Um, diet breaks didn't, to be honest, I didn't have any like planned or scheduled diet breaks. I think those more or less fell like holidays, birthdays, maybe date nights with my wife early on. Um, and definitely towards like the last two to three months, there was no diet breaks. Just those refeeds that were auto-regulated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like what you were saying about being a boxer with bodybuilding where people feel like everything needs to be on this rigid schedule but you'll actually get better results when you can really auto regulate your life and be able to jump in here and there and take advantage of the times when you're feeling good or account for the times when you aren't feeling as great it's yeah it's a it's like when you're inexperienced though it's almost like you do need to have that rigid schedule because you don't really know more or less like it's like throwing an amateur boxer in with mike tyson it's like they don't know when to when to throw their shots or pull back because they got a freight train coming at them so that's you know if it's your first prep that's almost what it's like it's like you're getting hit by this freight train because you don't really know how to make these adjustments and that's why coaching in my opinion is really important because a coach obviously is going to be more experienced so they can kind of help guide you with this but over time as you go through you know being that that rigid system you do those rigid systems then you kind of know more or less like what the effect is from what you're doing so obviously you get more experience you know how to kind of pick your spots a little bit 
better over time. And then someone like myself who's been competing for 30 years, um, I kind of realized like, I don't need to have like a super rigid system in place. I just need to base things off principles and just use my instincts to kind of help guide me. Like I literally like eliminated my spreadsheet, my training spreadsheet. Like I stopped logging things in a spreadsheet because I realized it was causing more stress than what it was worth. It was causing more time in the gym too, because I'm sitting there with my computer jotting things in there. I'm like, why am I typing these numbers in? It's stressing me out. It's white noise. I have a pretty good memory. I'm 52, but I have a pretty decent memory. I know what I did last week. So I'm like, okay, as long as I'm hitting the appropriate proximity to failure, I'm getting a stimulus. So I don't need to write these numbers in. So I eliminated that noise. I eliminated weighing myself too, which kind of surprised a lot of people. Like I didn't weigh myself. Wow. I weighed myself the last month of prep because I was collecting data for Alberto because I want Alberto to set up my peak week. So I know he needed the data to do that. But before that, prior to that, like I wasn't weighing myself for about three months. And the way I was gauging progress was more like the visuals and how I was feeling. So if I was feeling like like pretty good, like I had good energy, I looked like I'm progressing pretty well, then I, I knew I can dig a little bit harder, like pick my spots. Let me land a couple harder punches. So I would, you know, maybe drop the calories down 100, 200 for a day or two, three days or whatever, or do a little more steps. And then when I started to feel like I was getting too run down, then it could have been like the refeed I mentioned earlier. Or it would be like, okay, let me take a day off from my training or let me bring the steps down and let me recover a little bit more. Days where it was like a little bit kind of like in middle ground where I didn't, the energy was decent, but not, you know, I was just feeling okay. Then I would just keep things the same. I wouldn't make any adjustments, just keep going. So that's how I was kind of basing like protocol and gauging progress and all that. So it wasn't by the scale. Not something I would recommend to something who's just starting out, but when you get to be 30 years into the game, it, you can kind of do these types of things. Yeah, going off the scale is probably going to blow the minds of a lot of bodybuilders tuning into this. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. What yeah. did your training look like? Training's more or less been the same for the last decade or so, like upper lower split. Um, like three, like I started out the prep three days a week, uh, picked it up to four days per week, but it kind of just depended on life too, like how busy I was, how my body was feeling. So on average, those three, four days a week of training, upper lower split. Um, volume wise, you know, as you if people have followed me know that I don't do a ton of volume. Like usually it's no more than four exercises in a given workout. So anywhere between two to four sets an exercise. Um, and that's based off of how my body's feeling, where my energy levels are at, also what my time is. Some days I have more time to train than others, so that might be a two-set two per exercise day, but higher intensity. Um, if I have more time, but my body doesn't feel as great, it might be four sets, just at lower, lower intensities. So again, it's just using principles. It's more like, okay, here's, here's the principles, here's the sweet spot and based off of like all these other factors, how am I going to play it? So you can kind of say training was more or less auto-regulated session to session. Did you find that things changed throughout prep? Like, did you drop volume on average or change up exercises? No, volume was, like I said, it's, it's adjusted. It was more like the two to four set area realm. Number of exercises, always kind of the same throughout. It's very static on that front. Performance, I noticed, um, was good in the early stages, pretty decent in the middle stages, and then towards the end, I purposely held performance back, meaning I wasn't trying to overreach, because you know, obviously when you're getting pretty lean, you, you don't, you just don't have the ability to really like up your game in the gym. So I knew as long as I kind of maintain lifts as much as I can, and I'm hitting the appropriate proximity failure, like I'm telling muscle, like, hey, I still need you to stick around for the next time we do this. So, yeah, I just wasn't really striking as much the last couple of months, and that was very strategic, because I've, I've learned from past preps that I can do, in a sense, less intensity, like not be so adamant about trying to progress all the time, and muscle really doesn't go anywhere as long as you're hitting the appropriate proximity failures. 
So again, that's why I didn't really need the logbook because the logbook I think is important for some people because some people get very complacent in their training. They're not willing to push themselves. So at least with the logbook, it kind of teaches you to, okay, you need to be a little more intent trying to push for things. Um, but now that I'm on the other side of prep, like now I'm like, okay, yeah, I can, once the energy picks up even more, I'm ready to kind of dive back in and try to attack the logbook again. Yeah, the logbook is an interesting one where I think for some people, they have trouble pushing hard enough. So mm -hmm. if they don't have that accountability, they may be leaving reps on the table. Whereas with other people, sometimes it can even push you too hard some days where maybe you're not up to a set of eight with 300 pounds and you're trying to push for it, grind for it anyways, just to beat the logbook from last time. Yes, yeah, so it's just not like you think about it, it's just a number. So the, the way I kind of look at it this way is like, let's say last week I did 100 for 10. This week I do 100 for eight. But let's say last week I did 10, there was like two reps in reserve. Whereas the eight this week, it was to failure. Like, which one is actually giving you a better stimulus? It's really like probably splitting hairs. So I don't worry too much if like performance drops off from one session to the next, as long as it's not every single session, that would be a red flag. But you're going to have those sessions where it's like you're not going to be able to perform as well number wise, but it doesn't mean the stimulus is any less than because your muscle doesn't know numbers. It just knows effort. So whether you get eight reps or 10, if it's they're both a failure, like you're still getting some of the stimulus. Have you had any challenges in terms of maybe chronic injuries or just dealing with staleness when you're training at home using the same equipment? Mm, I don't think it's the equipment or training at home per se, but yeah, I've had repetitive use issues. Uh, been dealing with the left shoulder issue for quite a while, like through the entirety of the prep that it, it caused me issue. Um, I can't uh, do certain lifts. Um, so, just can't like bench pressing or even dumbbell pressing, you know, with, with significant load causes a lot of pain. So I've had to work around that the entirety of the prep and even before that been dealing with it. Uh, and that's something that I'm kind of still learning as I go because my body's been changing the last few years. It's getting, I'm obviously getting a little older and that's where I'm noticing the changes is like the ability to perform without pain in the recovery aspect it's a little bit more of a challenge so that's probably the, that's another factor is like do i really want to go through with this because there was some days it's like man it's 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 getting a little bit rough but yeah left shoulder issue that's right now kind of the biggest thing um i can't really squat anymore on a regular basis i could do it in short stents and then my body just tells me like don't don't do this anymore you need to stop um, same thing with deadlifting. I have to be really careful. So strategically, what I've done in my training is instead of like starting out with big compound lifts like I used to do in the past, they're more like towards the latter part of my workouts now because I'll use the isolations as pre-fatigues. So that way, when I do get to these bigger lifts, I don't have to use as much weight and I'll still get the same benefit out of it. Uh, so I'm probably going to do that moving ahead. Like this week, even, you know, I did... Uh, I threw in some hybrid deadlifts on the Smith machine, but it was like the last exercise of my workout after I already did a couple of the other isolation exercises, just so the load doesn't get ridiculously high. Because I'm still yeah. pretty strong. Even though I'm 52, I can could, I could still move some decent weight. It's just my joints don't want me to anymore. Yeah, as you go along in an experience, you start seeing the reasoning behind some of these techniques that some more advanced bodybuilders use, where basically they're trying to get the same stimulus or still a good stimulus with less weight and they're when you're when you're young you want to just crush as smash much it. weight as yeah. possible yeah. Yeah. Just like i still have an ego like, yeah, i'm still yeah still super proud of some <laughs> of the lists i did back in the day like in high school doing 330 on a bench and a body weight of 165 like i'm still i'll still be al bundy and talk about how i scored four touchdowns in one one game you know but now it's like I just can't do those things anymore. And I think I'm kind of realizing now, like I've been doing this for so long. Like there's a lot of other guys like me that are out there. They just don't 
put themselves out in public as much as me. But I'm kind of seeing myself now as like, okay, I'm enjoying a high level physique at an older age, an advanced age, and there's a reason why that is. And it's it's not so much like, hey, I'm foam rolling or stretching or doing all these things. It's more about how I'm approaching my training, how I'm approaching my dieting, just how I'm approaching sport in general. That's what creates the longevity. So oftentimes, like when we're younger or even like, you know, more intermediate or whatever, we think like it's more so like the what what can I do to, to create longevity as far as like, do I need to stretch? Do I need to form all these little things? It's more so like what's your your approach, your philosophies around things. Yeah, I much rather people think about their training in that aspect from the perspective of long term fatigue management, right? And trying to manage things to work in the long term rather than patching up holes in the dam as things are breaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I mean, right now it's like volume, right? Like it's always a hot topic. How much volume should we be doing? Like instead of looking so acutely, it's like if you look at it from a a bigger picture, you know, you're going to be doing this 10 years, 15, 20, 30. In my case, this is year 38 of training. Like you can still make progress over that span of course it slows down but there's other areas of progress outside of just getting bigger muscles and or doing as much as you possibly can so you try to have to stretch things out that's what i learned about getting to worlds this year is like i wasn't sure if i was going to be able to even match my former physiques um i think size wise i'm relatively the same but i I feel like I got a little bit more conditioned. I peaked pretty well considering it was a crazy water cut and all that. Um, posing was really good. Uh, so there's a lot of improvement that I made and arguably this might have been my best ever package. So even at the age of 52, like there's still, I feel like there's still room for improvement moving ahead. It may not be more muscle mass, but there's other areas I feel like that's going to keep me relevant. Like it could still keep me in the running for top five finishes, maybe in the next couple of years. I know Father Time will keep will catch up at some point, but I'm not focused just on one thing, and that's like just trying to get bigger, more muscle. Like to me, that's kind of an uh, an ego way of looking at bodybuilding, because it's like people want to get big. They think bigger is always better. Better is better. Like obviously. You know, there's some pretty big dudes at Worlds, but they're not world champions. You know, it takes combination of things in order to make it to the elite level. As you well know, because you've been you've been to Worlds, you you're up on that stage. It's not always the biggest guy. It's the most polished yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, I find it pretty wild that you know you're saying that you you were at at your best, right? And I think I heard Eric saying that he thought you looked your best ever and that's really inspiring how have you found in terms of your trajectory of muscle mass across your training career like where did you like you said that you probably haven't put more muscle mass on since last prep at what point do you feel that your muscle mass has maxed out yeah it's a good question because i really don't know because when i look back at my 20s and 30s there's like so much that i could have done better you know i just wasn't educated enough so it's hard to you know if i can go back and maybe do x y and z would i have kept getting bigger but i think the off seasons i always did really well because i always made it a point to eat plentiful and i always trained really really hard you know there was a lot of people that would go to the gym with me that couldn't hang with me so i was always like like work ethic was never an issue food was never an issue so i'd always look pretty stout in the off season my dilemma my problem was always coming down into shows because i was i was that guy who just worked way too hard so i would end up losing a lot of lean tissue so it wasn't until my 40s when i started to get a lot better at learning how to prep as far as like the rate of loss like making it a little more conservative slowing things down and holding on to a lot of muscle mass by doing that uh, so it's hard for me to say like when did i actually stop gaining muscle um and also too in my 20s i competed more frequently so i competed like 93 through 95 three straight years i competed 97 98 two straight years 
99 and 2000 and competed again two back-to-back -back years so there's always like just a lot of dieting going on in that time period so again looking in hindsight like if i can go back in time i would be able to like improve a lot of the approaches and who knows maybe i would have had more of a linear path as far as muscle gain so like a good uh, like the way i kind of look at it now is like instead of looking at myself i can look at like just this last world's four guys in the light white class that placed ahead of me they're probably like half my age so we're seeing and like i remember maybe a decade ago i don't know maybe if you kind of noticed this too like we would always talk about how guys in natural bodybuilding the guys that are in their mid-30s 40s they're that's when they're hitting their strides and hitting their peaks at an older like but now it's like look now we got guys like ben schuster's 21 years old he looks nutty at 21 years old so i think just the education the information it's out there more now and people are finding success earlier on so it's kind of exciting to think like what is this going to look like 10 years from now 20 years from now so what we thought was impossible 10 15 years ago it's almost like no we're like probably just scratching the surface still so in a way i'm kind of like man i wish i was i wish i could go back in time and i could live in the internet days in my 20s instead of like finding success later in life but i also realize like there's a reason why i'm on this path so i can kind of show like okay at 52 you can still keep going yeah we're blessed to live in a time where we have access to so much information and knowledge right and particularly being able to learn from others and talk to people around the world like having these podcasts in terms of competing you know i think it's really interesting what you were saying about how the muscle mass factor also gets impacted by dieting right and that is the tricky part about bodybuilding is that you're kind of burning from both ends of the candle where you're trying to build muscle but you're also losing fat and constricting your calories when you compete so competing can actually take a piece out of you if you were to advise athletes in terms of planning their careers how often do you think they should be competing and do you think this should change across their career time span i think it's a good question because i think big picture game planning is probably the most important piece of the puzzle um, i think early on like obviously spending time away from deficits so you can develop your base your foundation you know whether that's two years three four five whatever it takes and everybody's different or genetics are different capabilities are different but once you kind of establish like that foundation now you're ready to jump in and compete um you know to get to like if we're talking elite level conditioning like we're talking wbf worlds um imba you know the, the olympia and all this like all these high level world shows then that's going to take a while to get to that conditioning level like it it's going to take a decent amount of time dieting as you as you know it's once you get down to that level of leanness it takes a while to come out of that to recover to get your body back into a position to actually be able to make improvements again uh, so you know you were talking when you get on stage at that conditioning level you're probably spending a year where you're getting in that conditioning and you're you're recovering from that condition so it's not until after that you're able to like make significant improvements again so competing every year might not be in someone's best interest if they're wanting to really improve their physique like you can compete year to year and maybe do well like okay i'm you know hey i'm placing top five every year but if your physique might not change a whole lot but if you want to see significant improvements you probably have to space that out further so it's like maybe it's every other year every third year every fourth year you're dieting down to those you know crazy levels of conditioning uh to be honest and, and not to call out the wmbf but the rule of like competing like you get a pro card you got to compete within the next calendar year that's rough like and it's it's rough from the standpoint of you want to try to recover because physically mentally emotionally it takes a lot out of an athlete but also the people that your family they're going along for the ride as well and i can tell you as a coach and kind of coaching hundreds of athletes this stage it's harder on people's family 
than the athlete themselves in most cases. So, you know, it's like you're asking an athlete to physically do something very demanding all over again, but you're also asking a lot of burden to the people outside of them as well. Like it's, it does risk relationships and that type of thing. It's, it's real. So if, you know, I, I wish there would be a little bit more grace with that, like allowing maybe two years, you know, I think two years, you give an athlete a year to kind of recover, rest up, recharge batteries, and then come back again the following year. Um, that would be kind of my wish list. My Christmas wish list this year would be like, okay, let's, let's change that rule. Um, but yeah, I would say as like for me personally, now that I'm in year 30, muscle mass is there. Um, if I really wanted to compete strategically, I can probably do it every year and it would just be more or less like keeping my body weight healthy, like maybe 10, 15 pounds over stage weight and then dieting for three months out of the year. And that's it. Um, where in the past, I would allow my body weight to go higher. Uh, I would probably let habits get away from me too much. And then it would just take a long time to kind of get back into that shape. Um, but it's not, it's not something that I think we should be doing year after year after year. At some point, maybe two years you do it in a row, maybe three. But after that, like, I think most people's battery starts to fizzle out anyways. So you kind of just have to take each person as it comes, physically where they're at, mentally, emotionally where they're at. Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about is where I'm supposed to compete next year to maintain my pro card and i don't know if i want to go to that level of conditioning you know where it's it's there's a cost to it and it's a lot of factors to take into consideration yeah. have you found any new exercises or training techniques that you've liked in the last few years hmm. that's a good question man I don't know. I mean, the latest craze right now, right, is the length and partials. I mean, I played around with that. Um, some of it I like, mm -hmm. some of it I don't like. Mm -hmm. um, I'm more of a principle guy, like basics, principles. A curl in, in 1993 is the same as a curl in 2023. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I don't, I just don't know, like, if there's like this one little technique or a new exercise or something like that that's like a big game changer in things so it's hard for me to kind of answer that yeah i mean at this point you've tried everything under the sun yeah the length of partials it's probably i'll probably explore that a little bit more in the off season but uh like on some exercises i'll use it as more of a finisher not i won't do it on every single set let's say for example i'm doing a pull down i might do it on the third set and just the last few reps as a finisher. Uh, on occasion, I might do the whole set that way, but I have a hard time personally of like identifying like what my range of motion should be. Whereas if I do it on the last few reps of a set, the fatigue will dictate what that range of motion is. So I don't have to think about it as much. But um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's like for me at my at this point in my career, I don't I don't think it's like all of a sudden I might see like. Okay, you just gained three pounds of muscle because you're doing length and partials. Yeah, these are very fine-tuned adjustments at this point. Yeah. And from the nutrition aspect, uh, over the years, have you found your body responding differently to foods or any certain diet modifications? Um, dairy. I'm not. A, I can't really take in a whole lot of dairy anymore. Hmm. Um, and a couple of years ago, I got diagnosed with high cholesterol like my LDL was high so I've had to make some modifications more so due to health than like how my like from an aesthetic perspective or body mind perspective so and that's kind of actually helping like the ability to maybe compete more frequently because now it's instead of my off season thinking like oh I got to get these gains I'm going to eat all this food I'm going to get after it now it's like okay if I don't stay on top of my habits, then I'm risking my overall health. And at this age, like my priority isn't so much the bodybuilding side, like it's important, but my overall health is highest priority. So I'm very motivated right now to maintain good habits. So now that I'm 
you know, on the other side of prep, my body weight really hasn't gone up a ton uh, because my habits are still in place. But uh, but diet-wise, yeah, it's it's changed the last few years more so to, just because of the health issues uh, more than anything. Yeah, I actually think that that's one of the great things about bodybuilding where if you keep your body fat selling point on a little bit on the lower end, I think it's great for health where obviously you don't want to be too lean like competition lean but staying on that lower end where maybe you can see some definition in your abs i think it's going to be great for people people I agree. tend to do better being a, a little bit on the lower end of body yeah. weight rather than higher because my younger days i was i was one of those guys that would wear sweatshirts you know in the off season bulked out i'm lifting tons of weight force feeding food in you know because i want to get the size and I was all fine and dandy because it obviously got some some muscle on me, but don't ask me to go up and fly the stairs. And I think sometimes like we kind of justify eating maybe foods or too much food, I should say. Sometimes the wrong foods, we justify it because we're like we're after the gains. I'm young, I'm a bodybuilder, I'm trying to get the gains. Where it's like, well, I think you know now I'm like trying to stress to some of my athletes like you know overall health. Like, let's make sure you're getting a certain amount of steps in, in your off season. You know, let's maybe throw in one or two cardio sessions in a week uh, for overall health. Let's not, you know, get too heavy in the off season. And like you kind of said, like there's a, there's a middle ground where you can still look decent, still have really good energy, still perform well, have good recovery. Um, and, you know, just overall when you're not, fluffy you're going to feel better you're going to feel confident you're going to feel better about yourself so you know for me you know i think it's no longer you know preaching like okay we gotta we gotta eat big we gotta stay covered up in the off season you know that hardcore gotta wear sweatshirts and hoodie and you know sling around a lot of weight grunting in the gym like i don't think you need to do all that you know in order to continue progressing because as now let's think about it as natural bodybuilders you're not going to be packing on five tens of pounds of muscle every single year or every single off season. You might get pound, two pounds, but does it really take you, you know, going 30, 40 pounds over, 50 pounds over stage weight to do that? And then you have to lose that weight anyway. And that's where it comes to the big picture game planning, right? Do you want to spend one to two years taking off 40 to 50 pounds in order to get on stage? Or would you rather take off 15, maybe 20 pounds, which is far more reasonable and probably a better way to retain that muscle mass on the way down. Yeah, I think as we learn more about natural bodybuilding, we're moving towards more conservative measures, you know, rather than plus minus 10, 20 pounds per move, but rather smaller adjustments and realizing that we can't put on slabs and slabs of muscle in over the course of a few months is a natural. In terms of managing life with your family, what have you found helpful this prep in terms of sustainability? Oh, man, I think uh, what I could really have done to help the marriage out a little bit more is being able to sleep the entirety of the night. So that was probably the biggest complaint mm -hmm. from my wife was just the disruptive sleep patterns because I was getting up three in the morning, four in the morning, sometimes two in the morning, just cause you know, the, the dieting, just being that lean, I was waking up. So that that's an area that I need to figure out next time. For, but outside of that, um, you know, I've always kind of made it a point to check in with my wife, like, how am I doing it? Cause oftentimes mm -hmm. as bodybuilders, we're kind of thinking of ourselves. We're not thinking about people around us. And if you really want to get the honest truth as far as how you're actually being in a contest prep, as far as how you're handling real life, ask the closest people around you. They will give you the honest truth. So I would check in with her and sometimes she would say, yeah, you're, you're good. Sometimes she would say, eh, you know, you're a little moody or whatever. So it just, mm -hmm. I think just having that communication and, you know, just basically being honest with yourself, like you're not probably the best judgment when it comes to that. 
So yeah, there's there's areas I need to improve still. Um, I think, like I said earlier, that the last two to three months, you know, the last month especially, I just kind of went back to my roots and I had to be that hardcore bodybuilder. You know, just because I realized the show that I was going to be doing, the level of talent that was going to be there. And if I want to stay relevant from a competitive standpoint, then I knew I was going to have to buckle down. And that meant like, okay, I'm not having dinner with you guys. And the reason I wasn't having dinner because I was in the gym training. That was my training time most of the time. Um, And I wasn't eating the foods that they were eating. So the scheduling, the life scheduling, the family scheduling got a little bit rough the last two to three months. So that's why it's important now, like, you know, 3D Muscle Journey, we we coined the recovery diet. We're the original, you know, originators of it. We created it, but it's more so about not just like physically recovering from prep, but your family has to recover too. So part of the recovery process for me is like taking a week off after, like I took a complete week off of training. I took a complete week off of dieting or anything and just immerse myself into the family dynamic. Um, and now we're you know two weeks into it. It's more like devoting my time and energy back to normal family life again, like getting back to eating dinner with them. And like today or later on, we're going to go get a Christmas tree and things like that. Uh, so I just didn't have the energy to do a lot of the things that I should have been doing just because you know how it is when you prep towards the end. You only have energy to, to train, do your steps, um, and try to get a good night's sleep. I mean, that's about it. That's a good point about seeing your prep and your life as a holistic venture, right? Where you need your family to recover as well and consider that. And for bodybuilders, for most of us, work ethic is not an issue. And I mean, it doesn't matter. You just write the plan on paper and I'll execute it, right? But you don't always take into account how that impacts other people. For those days when, say, you find maybe your wife tells you that you're a little moody, what would you do to deal with that or, you know, manage that? It would basically check me. I mean, it checks me and I'm like, okay. Maybe I am moody. Okay, let's try to like I try to change my demeanor like right then and there. Uh, but sometimes I get up in the next morning like okay, let me make this cup of coffee for her, <laughs> or let me write this little note, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's good to have awareness, and if you don't have self awareness with it, like making sure that you're kind of thinking of everybody else first. Like if you're kind of starting to lose that awareness, check in with them. Like whether it's once a week, twice a week, check in. So that way you don't get to a point where you're like, you're that asshole bodybuilder, you know, that no one wants to be around. Because all that you talk about, all you care about is your macros and how many steps you're getting and how much volume you're doing. Like, I, even like with, a, like, I'm a bodybuilder, right? I love talking about this stuff. Obviously, I'm on your podcast. So, like, I love talking about this stuff. But I've even had bodybuilders come to my house. And I open the door and the first thing out of their mouths is they talk about their prep. There's no, hey Jeff, how you doing? How's the family? It's just more so like they're just so in tuned and absorbed with bodybuilding. Like even I get irritated, like, wow, okay, this is this is not good. So I definitely don't want to be like that. When I am like that, I definitely want someone to check me. Yeah, I think these pearls are some of the most valuable and Things that, you know, not everyone talks about, especially since bodybuilders are so focused on the the details and talking about macros, talking about training. But this is the kind of stuff that keeps people in the game. Yeah, for sure. What are you thinking? What are you thinking in terms of future plans? I was waiting for you to ask this question because I know we're getting closer to the end. So to be honest, I haven't thought about the next step yet. I'm like, because I realize I've done this so long. Like right now, I'm riding a very high right now. Like I'm stoked. Like I'm super proud. Like, okay, at 52, I can still hang with these young kids. Yeah. Top five. It's like, so yeah, my my competitive side in me right now, because of the emotions, like I want to get in there and try to get top three. Like I, you know, I know, okay, like muscle mass, I might not be able to get bigger. 
like I've watched the video, the footage already. I go, okay, I, this is what the things I did well. Like I posed really well. Um, I peaked pretty well. Um, symmetry wise, I hung. Like I, I kind of worked my way. Like it took a few rounds of us turning to them, to the judges to get me moved to center. But I actually got into what I believe anyways, top three in the symmetry round. Still waiting for the judges scorecard to see if that's true or not. But it was Dirk Emrich right in the center the whole time. I got moved next to him, and the the gentleman from Ukraine, David, was on the other side of Dirk. The final turns of the symmetry. So I'm like, okay, I made it. Probably top three. Muscularity round. That's when I started to get knocked out. We do a turn. They push me out one. They do a turn. Push me out. So I realized I was getting out, like right there, live in the moment, I'm getting out muscled. So I got nothing I can do about that. You know, I've been training this long and hardly, highly doubt I'm gonna be able to you know, pick up any more muscle mass. But I feel like I can get leaner, I can maybe peak better. So possibly I have the illusion of more muscularity, more size. So who knows, maybe a top three. But again, this is more of the motivation and the, and the emotions that are talking because I'm only, we're not even two weeks removed yet. And I know a month from now, a lot of these emotions are going to subside, they're going to die down, and I'll get, I'll gain more clarity as I go, as far as what I truly want to do, and I'll roadmap things once I have that clarity. So I know right now it's not a good time to really think about the next step. Right now, what I'm really focused on is savoring the moment, enjoying what I just accomplished, because I just spent a year of my life, my family spent a year of our lives on this one goal. And I have them there to share in it. And that was awesome having my family there. Very supportive. We had a great time. But they deserved, you know, my attention right now. They deserve a breather. I deserve a breather. So I'm just enjoying I'm enjoying it. And just coming on here and having the opportunity to talk about it. I really appreciate you having me on. And um yeah, I don't have any plans just yet. But I can tell you this for sure, like, because before I was thinking about retiring, I don't think I'm going to retire now. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Awesome. So I think um, I realize with the, and I'm not trying to sound arrogant. This is not arrogance talking. This is more the experience at Worlds and just having a lot of my peers that are my age say, you're inspiring. I look up to you. You're helping me to, to do these things. And then I've had that from a lot of other people. I realized that the work that I'm doing, not just like personal work as in my own personal ambitions of competition, but me going through the process and sharing and paying things forward. Um, that's a huge purpose in life. And I feel like there's still a lot more work to do. So I'm going to stay in the game for that. Yeah. Or yeah, that part of the reason, yeah, big part of the reason is that. I think that is very meaningful, being able to have that impact and inspire the, the young and upcoming bodybuilders. What would you change about your peaking, by the way? <laughs> being two or three pounds leaner, so I didn't have to do a water cut. Yeah. Uh, but outside of that, I wouldn't change a thing because. What I did was, even though I, I have all this competitive experience, is I gave the keys to someone else. I said, Alberto, you're in charge of my peak week. Whatever you come up with, I'm going to follow it because I have trust in his ability. And I realized it would take a lot of stress off of my plate. And that's exactly what it did. So even though someone has much experience as me, like having humility to to be coached and that's something i felt like i did a really good job of this season is allowing other people to help me because i let you know some pride down because what i'm seeing now on social media a little bit is how people are saying there's no real optimal way of doing things you know i don't need a coach that type of thing and i'm like well there are better ways of doing things and there are other people out there that can probably guide you a little bit better than yourself so that's something I'm realizing even more so as I'm getting older and more advanced, like it's okay to let other people help you. So having Eric Helms help me with emotional support, letting Alberto take full control of the peak week, letting Brad take control of the hub above a strawberry flavored gum and let's try to get 
let's try to lose the 0.8 pounds by spitting in a cup <laughs> because I didn't want to in the initial, in the beginning. He's like, no, we're doing this. So allowing him to do that um, and just listening to some of my athletes, you know, just, it's okay, Jeff, just, just take it day by day. Just, so just letting some pride down, having a lot of humility. That's where you're going to grow the most is when you, when your guard is down. I think that's a very intelligent move actually as well, even from the standpoint of deliberately taking measures to reduce your own stress, because I think stress does play a role in your look on stage. It does. Yeah. I was like, I was stress-free up until the water cut. That was a little stressful because it put a little physical demand <laughs> on me. But there was still like a, a comfort in knowing that if I follow Alberto's game plan, someone who himself has obviously gotten shredded and he's done exceptionally well as an athlete himself, plus he's coached so many athletes to the stage successfully, it's like, why wouldn't I put trust in that? So it's like, let me just trust his game plan, his process, and then I didn't have to think about it, just execute it. And it worked out. Yeah, that's awesome. So anyways, lining the plane here, I think this has been a very inspiring chat as always. Jeff, where can people find you? 3DMJ underscore Godfather on Instagram, 3DMuscleJourney.com, um, Team3DMJ at YouTube. Awesome. Well, cheers to, you know, all the accomplishments of the season, Jeff, and until next time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.